to receive all glory and all honor. You alone are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All glory belongs to Him and Him alone. Church, I am so glad that in this chaotic world that we can know that death is not the end, but it's just the doorway to your eternity. God has already conquered death, hell, and the grave, and that's why He alone deserves all glory, all honor, and all praise. Lord, we want your will to be done in our lives. We want your will to be done in this church and in this city, oh God. Oh, church, I know it's Wednesday. I, I get that, but we got to get a hold of a hunger and a burden for, for a world that needs Jesus. We have the one answer that mankind has been looking for throughout the ages. You read different books and watch movies and there's all these references to, to some kind of secret formula to, to live forever. Some kind of formula to make you feel young forever. And of course the world can never find it because it's looking here in the, in the earth. But Jesus is the answer to eternity to eternal salvation. I, everybody can be seated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismiss everybody here in just one moment. But before I do, let me, let me first start by saying I'm very excited about tonight. I'm very excited about um, what's going to take place here on the stage. And I believe that God couldn't have orchestrated it any better, that the, the song that was played is going to lead very much into what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, for those of you who will be staying in here, those of you watching online, our, my phone number and Pastor Powell's phone number is going to be up on the screen. If you have any questions as we get into this lesson, if you have any questions um, that sparked by what we're talking about or something that you would like to see answered at some point, please just text us. We will be kind of watching as we're talking um, so that we can, we can help address all of those questions. At this time, let's go ahead and, and um, dismiss those who need to go, the kids, youth, uh, in, any of the Bible studies. Go ahead, ladies Bible study, go ahead and be dismissed at this time. While they're being dismissed, um, I want to make kind of an opening statement. So tonight, Pastor Powell aptly named uh, tonight's lesson as was it hard truth or hard questions? Reasonable answer. <laughs> we talked about a lot of different options. Reasonable answers. The, the current state of, of, of our world, the current state of our country is mostly confusion. Um, it, it always baffles me to, to hear people uh, having a debate over something and how both people can know the exact same information but have very different conclusions about what that information actually means. Right? We talked about last week about how that um, we have to know that there is a moral absolute truth that defines everything right and wrong, and it's not left just up to our interpretations, our emotions, our, you know, what, what we think should be or shouldn't be. Um, so we're going to kind of go through that and really illustrate what that means. We're going to talk about some specific uh, topics over the next three weeks and, and kind of look at it, how should the church and how should the saint uh, respond. And, and before we get into that real quick, I want to just make a couple of very short opening statements here. Um, in this past election in 2016, and this, this is not a political message. This is not going to be a message where we're trying to prop one candidate up and tear another one down. Not at all. But what this is supposed to do is help us to understand how we are to be in, engaged in all of these activities. But I remember watching um, several YouTube videos in, in the election uh, actually back in uh, 2020, where all these so-called prophets were standing up and, and proclaiming that President Trump was going to be president for four more years. Again, this is not a pro or a con against President Trump. Regardless, that's, that's not what we're talking about. But what bothered me about that is, is the Bible tells us very clearly how do we see and spot a false prophet. 
If they prophesy saying that they're speaking on behalf of God and what they say is, doesn't come to pass and it's not true, Scripture said that's a false prophet, right? And we have to recognize that they... We have to recognize that, that, that they are false prophets because this world would love nothing more than to deceive us into believing a lie until it's so far along that we don't even know what truth is anymore. And, and with that being said, I'm going to read just a couple very short verses, and I'm going to go through these quickly. But to kind of help you understand where my mindset was in originally kind of setting all of this up. Um, you know, today, too many Christians, and I, and I use the term kind of loosely, have a temporary political mindset when they should have an eternal kingdom mindset. The discussions that will occur over the next few or next three Wednesdays are not designed to promote a political pundit. The purpose of these discussions is to help the body of Christ gain a kingdom first mindset. In Matthew chapter 4, um, Jesus is uh, teaching and, and there are people around him and in verse 1 it says, it says that when then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. In verse 10, after he's tempted and he responds back to Satan many times, verse 10 says, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt, not, or thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came to d and dwelt in uh, Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulon and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by prophet Isaiah, the prophet saying, here in verse 16, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, Light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus, we see as he begins his ministry, the first thing that happens is he separates himself from the world. He's tempted, but he relies on the word to, to respond. In all manners of temptation, he used the word to respond. And he says that the people that he was going to speak to, which were Jews, actually were in darkness. and They didn't even know it. So then it says, from this point forward, Jesus began to teach, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And notice what happens here in chapter 5. Jesus is preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen to how he describes the purpose of the kingdom and the mindset that Christians should have toward that, that kingdom. You ready? And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Skip down here to verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manners of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, if we're not careful, you read the first part of that, that phrase right there. Jesus just said that people are going to hate us, that we're going to be persecuted, that people, we're going to be reviled in the eyes of other people. And yet Jesus says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why? Well, he answers that immediately afterwards. For great is your reward in heaven. Not in the earth, not in your flesh, not in a political power, but great is the, king, or, or the, um, the greatest reward in heaven. Finally, 13, I'll stop right here. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Remember that verse. It'll come back around a little later. But right now I want to turn it over to Pastor Powell and let him make some comments. Thank you. Um, I want to direct your attention to Colossians 4 verse 6. The Bible says there, let your speech be always with grace. Season with salt, 
that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. Also in 1 Peter 3.15, the Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. And thus the reason why we've chosen the title Reasonable Answers because we want to give some answers to some of these hard questions tonight and the next uh, two Wednesdays. Um, and so as born-again believers, when we give answers about our faith and beliefs, we should first do so with grace. Okay, Never vindictive, never from a standpoint of, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, and, and although that may be the case, do it with grace. Uh, if we don't, our message will be ineffective, even if the answer is correct. Jonah had the right message with the wrong motive and was actually angry at God, not just at the people, but God himself. So it's vital that what we say is as important as how we say it. In the two verses I read, you have the word grace. You have the phrase season with salt. You have meekness and fear. These are how we answer someone when asked questions, even the hard questions. Okay, uh, Two more quick verses I want to read. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That means to build up that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In other words, the answer is coming, and even if it's an answer that the hearer doesn't like, if it's done so in grace and with the purpose of building up, it will minister grace to the hearer. And then finally, Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. And the, the remainder of the verse mentions the wicked. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But what I like about this is it, the fact that he studies to answer, or she, if, if that's the case, indicates that they're going to give a righteous answer. They're going to give a good answer. Okay, But the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. In other words, they don't even think. They just speak. It's evil. It's bad. It's wrong. But the righteous will study. I'll get an answer. I'll get an answer from God. I'll get an answer from God's Word. And so that's the premise and the purpose. And so as tonight as we begin this three-part series, our prayer, my prayer, is that in addition to these verses, that you will study to be ministers uh, of grace to those who hear you. So what we're going to do here tonight, we're going to talk about two uh, kind of topics to, uh, if you want to say, hot-button topics. And then we're going to kind of continue that theme over the next, uh, next couple Wednesdays as well. And, and, and Pastor Paul, you, you already said something that, that I really uh, kind of want to piggyback on when you, kind of there at the end about how that the, the righteous person, the person of God, should study so that they can answer. And what I really like about that is that notice that there's a study before the answer. Sometimes in our emotions and in our flesh, our instinct is to immediately respond. And, and sometimes that, that response, while maybe, maybe you have the right uh, uh, answer in the sense that you know that what they're saying is wrong, but if you haven't taken the time to study the word and to see that and to get your mind kind of in the right place, there's an easy temptation to immediately respond in a very sharp, pointed, yep. dare I say sometimes unloving way, so that even though, like you said, your answer is correct, but your heart is wrong, you didn't accomplish anything. Right. And, and the purpose of answering is not, not to prove that you're smarter than them. It's to win them to God. Right. Right? That's, that's the whole purpose. So, mm -hmm. so tonight, the, we're going to open up. We're going to talk about politics. I know in some places that's, that's about as bad as a, a curse word. We're going to talk about politics. And... To really understand as we get into this, and I'm going to kind of pose some questions and uh, let Pastor Powell here kind of answer them. Um, I, I want you to understand that the, the mindset that the Jews had, both in the Old Testament and early New Testament, is very different than kind of what we are today. In, in modern day Christianity, for most people, um, they view politics and church as two wholly separate, not relevant to each other things. You know, I do church 
in the church house. I do politics everywhere else when I'm arguing on Facebook about why their view is wrong, right? That, that's how much of us view politics. It's, it's completely devoid and separate from our faith. But that's not the way it was for the Jews. Their spiritual leaders were also their political leaders. They were the ones who set laws and, and, and penalties and, and customs. And unfortunately, as we see Jesus respond time and time and time again, these political leaders, these what were supposed to be spiritual leaders, cared much more about the politics and the power than about prayer and their purpose. And therefore, their truth was corrupted by their own flesh. And we definitely see that carry over even into current times. So with that being said, um, Pastor Powell, in the, in the topic of politics, what is the role of the church when it comes to politics? And does the Bible directly speak to this topic? All right. Well, let me first say God established his church. We know this from Matthew chapter 16. Upon this rock I will build my church. The rock, by the way, is not Peter. It's him. It, it, it could be said it was maybe Peter's faith, but it's Christ is the rock upon whom the church is built. Um, but he also called the church the city set on a hill. Those are governmental terms. In fact, the very term church in Greek, which is ecclesia, is borrowed from the Romans who would send an ecclesia of people to a conquered land to then set up government to transact business in the name of Caesar, to, to use the, the uh, Latin as their language, to uh, use the coins uh, that were, were made in the, in the Caesar's image, to make people Roman. So when he's using the term church, build my church, go and, and establish the church and all these things, it's, it's about really a governmental term. Um, and so to kind of piggyback off of what Pastor Jeremy said with how the Jews viewed that, so the church was established in the same way. The Bible tells us, and, and you can find this in Romans 13, 1 Timothy 2, and, and also 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are to pray for our governmental leaders. It doesn't have a footnote in that verse that says, if you voted for them. You pray for them, period. Whether or not you voted for them, whether or not you like them, you pray for them. That's, that's a, a biblical verse. Um, in fact, here's something interesting. When God prophesies through Jeremiah, they're about to be captured by Babylon. They're about to be taken to captivity. And God tells him, he says, tell the people to pray for the prosperity of the country you're going to. Because if they're prospered, I'll prosper you. Now that sounds ironic. I mean, God, they're fixing to attack us. So if you think about that, I think we can apply that same principle forward. And, and another verse that comes to mind is, is often quoted, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by their name, will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal the land, right? Uh, that's talking about an element of, of praying for uh, so the church being involved in politics there. And by the way, Daniel and Nehemiah are both examples of praying for their nation. Um, and so to that end, by the way, politicians would do well to learn a few Bible verses themselves, such as Psalms chapter 2, uh, 10 and 11, Proverbs eleven fourteen, Proverbs 21, 1, and also in Job 12. Uh, these verses I've just referred to instruct kings and judges to be wise and serve the Lord with fear and trembling in their duties as a judge or a king, to seek the wise counsel of other believers, and to understand, this is Proverbs 21, verse 1, I'll read it, to understand that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Let me also just say this. The church would do well to remember that. God is in control. Not the Democrats, not the governments, uh, not the Republicans, you know, not government of, of any sort. God, according to Daniel chapter 2, 21, sets up and takes down. So, again, going all the way back to what uh, Pastor Jeremy kind of kicked off with, let's put our trust in God and not governments. I also want to say this. The church is commissioned 
to go into all the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples of all nations. And fulfilling this commission expands God's unshakable kingdom. God has not called the church to activism. He's called it to evangelism. He's not established his church for survival. He's established it for revival. And our world doesn't need more politics. It needs a whole lot more Pentecost. So I believe you should exercise your right to vote. Absolutely. You know, do it. Thank God for the men and women who've died. And thank God that we live in a country where we can do so. Okay? But I don't believe you should be divided in the church along partisan lines. Okay? One of the hallmarks of God's church is unity despite differences. So to, to kind of just go back to the direct questions, what is the role of the church when it comes to politics? Pray for your leaders. Okay? Pray for God to heal the land. Be submitted and subjected to the, to the laws. Okay? Uh, does the Bible speak to this topic? Yes. I think, I think I've shown some verses, as has Jeremy. So that's pretty much the nutshell of the answer. You know, we're not going to say, okay, when you get baptized, you have to sign a card and vote a certain way. I know churches that have done that, that have said, if you don't vote this way or that way, you're not a real Christian. I, I haven't found a verse yet that tells me to vote Democrat, Republican, Green, Libertarian, or anything else. Okay? And, and so it, it's okay to have morals and principles and values, and we should have those, and those should govern how we vote. Okay, but we shouldn't let it be a dividing factor within the church. Uh, obviously, I agree 100%. And if I could just pay, piggyback just a little bit on that there. In Matthew 22, uh, Mark 12, and Luke 20, I'm not going to read those chapters, but if you want to go back and look at them later, they are specifically where um, some of the, 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 uh, the crowd come to Jesus, and, and they're asking Jesus, we have this coin here. Should we give, give it to Caesar? Should we pay taxes? They call it tribute. Should we pay tribute to the government that was in charge at that time? And, and Jesus' response to me is, is quite incredible. Because sometimes in Scripture there's what's said, but then there's also what's implied. If you actually read the context of what's, what's being talked about, Jesus tells them, he says, okay, I want you to take that coin. I want you to look at the coin. Whose image is on the coin? And they respond to him, Caesar. And Jesus says, okay, great, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's marked with his image. You give to that person what, what, what is theirs. But what's implied there is that who you look to, who you uh, commit yourself to, yes. is who you will render your heart, who yes. you will render your time, your emotions, your energy. And therefore, if, you, if we are a Christian, if we say that we are apostolic, but our lifestyle is not giving to God what is God's, which, by the way, is everything, yeah. then you have to kind of think about, well, am I actually following the word? Because I belong to God. His name was written on my heart. And therefore, I belong to God, and I have to give to God what belongs to God, which is me, my whole life, everything, all of me. Um, and finally, along with that, is unfortunately sometimes I think what happens, we, especially in this country, but it's not just this country, it's, it's around the world, it's, it's human nature in a lot of ways. We put too much stock in whether or not our candidate wins or loses. And what happens is, is whenever Christians say that, well, God wants this person to win and that person doesn't win, what you are telling the world is, God wanted that person, person to win, but he wasn't powerful enough to make it happen. Yeah. Right? There's things that we say, but sometimes what's not said is very much implied by the other person. Yeah. When the truth of the matter is, throughout all of Scripture, God says that he is the one who puts kings yes. over kingdoms. Yeah. He is the one who appoints leaders for his end. Right. How many times in the Old Testament did God use wicked carnal kings to bring the people of Israel back in relationship with him. And guess what? If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if in the Old Testament he used wicked people for his end, he can still do the same today. Sure. 
So just because we think, you know, someone should have won this office or whatever, and they don't, it doesn't mean God's not in control. It just means we may not know what he's trying to accomplish yet. Pastor Jeremy, before you go to the next set of questions, I want to just throw out um, kind of a follow-up with this because I've been asked this, and I'll certainly give an answer, but I want to kind of get your input as well. But there's been people say, well, should a Christian run for office? You know, whether that's city council or, or mayor or governor or senator or, or, you know, whether that's state or national or whatever. Um, and so what's your answer to that? Should, should a person, if they feel compelled, you know, is it okay for them if they're a born-again believer to pursue a political career? So I, I, would, say, I would say yes, as long as there is the first, the understanding that they are doing it because it is not going to compromise anything against their spiritual walk with God, anything against their moral principles. If any of that has to be changed for them to get to the office that they feel they're called to, then that is not a calling from God. God is never going to try to position us somewhere by making us do immoral things. And I, to me, the, the, the perfect example of this is actually in the Old Testament in the story of Joseph right? Joseph, while he didn't seek to be placed in that political position, he was obedient to God in all circumstance, and because of his faithfulness to the truth and being obedient, God maneuvered him into a position to save a nation, right? And I I think God is perfectly capable of doing the same thing today, Mm -hmm. that if a a person feels that God is moving in in that direction, I would say just in the idea of being in that office, not necessarily inherently wrong, as long as it never causes them to do anything contrary to the right. word of God or the spirit. I agree. And I think, too, in addition to Joseph, you've got Daniel. Um, and even though he was in captivity, he was a governor. And because of his obedience to God, he was elevated. The three Hebrew boys were elevated. Nehemiah was a governor. Um, you know, Cyrus sent him uh, to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, in the New Testament, you have, uh, we don't really have anybody that's a governor or a, or a political leader per se, but you have those who are connected. You also have a church in Caesar's household. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's saints in Caesar's household right under his nose. Um, I, I think with that, what I would say is, is just to parallel that a little bit is obviously anything, whether it's politics or any job that causes me to compromise the truth, mm-hmm. I need to quit that job and trust God and go find another one. But here's something else I just want to throw out there, and, and I'm, I, I believe in, again, I voted, you know, I, I, you know when it's time, I'll, I'll go and I'll cast my vote, and, and, and if you will, do my duty. But I'm also equally concerned about who's my sheriff, sure. and, and, and who's my mayor, and who's my city council member, you know, and a lot of times people get so focused on the national elections, but it's sometimes the local elections that are, are equally, if not more important at times, so... I think anything that draws us away from God, detracts our attention from serving him, and or divides us in the church, we need to be careful how we're doing it or why we're doing it and, and rethink our, our plan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. And I guess I'll say one last point on that part, and then we'll move into our, our second topic here. Um, uh, first, I want to say this. I, 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 want, I want everyone to know that, that whenever you're asked a question, and you don't know the answer off the top of your head, it is always wiser to take a minute, and by a minute, maybe a day, maybe a week, just depending on the situation, but, but to measure your thoughts against Scripture. So I, 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 in this topic, I did not know that that question was going to be asked. We, we did discuss much of this beforehand. He did not tell me that he was going to pose that particular question. And I have another one. Okay. Got a okay. Text. So, but, but, but what happened there is that when he asked me that question, the first thing that I did in my brain is I thought immediately to Scripture and I said, "Are there any stories that I know of within Scripture that sets a precedent that would allow me to shape an opinion on the question?" Right. Right. So, so when you ask that, I'm like, "Okay, who?" who Oh, Joseph. Yeah. But, but, you know, the second part of that, though, is that it's interesting that all of those people we mentioned, Joseph and Daniel and Nehemiah, right. none of them actually sought a position no. of power. It was given to them. Right. They were in yep. obedience and submission yes. to God, which then allowed God to place them where he wanted them to be. 
Now, I understand that in, in our political system, you have to run and you have to, you know, put yourself out there for that aspect of it. But what I would say, one thing with, Christian, with, with our faith, and this, unfortunately, I've had to learn the hard way a couple times, and I pray that I've learned the lesson and never have to learn it again, is that it is always better to just do the work, to be submissive, to do what God calls you to do with or without a title because the title is irrelevant to the purpose. Amen. But if you are submitted to the purpose, submitted to what God is calling to you, then God can trust you to put you in a position to further his kingdom. That's right. So seek him, not the position. Amen. So we do have another question on this topic before we move on from a text. As someone who isn't involved in politics at all, is it frowned upon or not Christ-like to not be very to not be a very political citizen? Okay, so I think first, the first thing you have to do, it, it, it's only as important you define your terms. Define what you're actually talking about. So the, the phrase that was used specifically, um, not to be a, what, what kind of citizen? A political Poli- citizen. Political citizen. I'm assuming that means go vote. Right, right. Uh, worried about it, follow it, et cetera. Sure. And, and I would say two things. First of all, that your, your, your ultimate obligation to God is to be faithful to his kingdom and to his word. I don't see any mandate within scripture that says if you abstain from voting because you have a moral objection to both people running or all three people running and you choose instead to pray and not vote. Now, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if you can think of any, but I can't think of any scripture that says that that's wrong or that's a sin that God's mad at you because you choose to abstain from the vote. Now, if you abstain from praying, that's a different reason. That's a whole different issue. If you abstain from praying for those in authority over you because you don't like them, well, the Bible actually does speak to that very directly. And regardless of our feelings or emotions about different people, we ultimately have to obey the word of God because it supersedes our emotions and feelings. Right. And I think I would just add to that and say very simply, I don't believe it is not Christ-like to not be involved based on what you said. Uh, I don't remember what election it was, um, but I was just so turned off by both candidates and then frustrated that we only had two to choose from and frustrated that both of them were immoral. And I read a quote that said, if you vote for the lesser of two evils, you've still voted for evil. And I didn't vote that year. Now, if that makes any of you think I'm I'm a bad citizen, that's your opinion, and you're you're welcome to it. I just, I couldn't bring my conscience to go vote. Now, I went and voted for others that were on the ticket, but when it came to that, I just skipped it because I could not bring myself to vote for either candidate. Uh, by the way, I'm a registered independent. I, I don't like either party, to be honest with you. Um, just want to throw that out there. But the, the reality becomes, I think we have to be careful. And I like what you said. If we're not praying, that's another issue. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we have to do when it comes to these things is, again, not let us divide us mm-hmm. from each other or distract us from God's purpose and kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He looks at Pilate, who is a representative of the world-leading government of that time, and says, if you had power, the only power you have is what my father gives you. You know, well, uh, why don't your, you know, men rise up? Because my kingdom's not of this world. I'm not here to take your position, you know? It's kind of like one songwriter said, we're not here to take sides, we're here to take over. (laughs) that's kind of God's concept of that Ecclesia. So, uh, again, I think just using good Bible sense and and making sure I'm still unified and making sure I'm still uh, fulfilling God's purpose would be how I would answer that. So I asked Pastor Powell uh, earlier tonight when we were kind of just outlining all of this, I said, do you think just two topics, if we just talk about two topics, will we have enough content to fill the time? Well, we haven't even got to the second, second topic yet, and we're already like 15 minutes left. So with that being said, I, I'm a, I want to transition into our, our yes, next sir. topic. Um, and, and, and as we get into this topic, I, I can already see, maybe you won't show it outwardly, but when I say what the next topic is, some of you are going to immediately, ooh, that are going to cringe a little bit. Um, but we need to talk about it. <laughs> next topic is abortion. And we need to talk about it. Here's the reason we need to talk about it. And it actually has very much the same to do with politics. You say, well, politics in and of themselves have pretty little bearing on our our, uh, spiritual purpose and and a spiritual kingdom and those kind of things. 
But what is, the, what is the purpose? What is the ministry that Jesus has given to every single follower? It's the ministry of reconciliation. So while you may not care about politics, while you may not care about those topics, the people that we're reaching do. And they don't, may not have a biblical worldview that shapes their thoughts. And so sometimes it is wise for us to at least know enough about the topics that when we are talking with someone, we can then shape that conversation to move them in the direction of God's word and show them that that's the truth they're really looking for, not the politician. But if you know nothing about either of these topics and you just blindly agree with someone, you don't know what you're agreeing to. Maybe you're agreeing to supporting a person that is like completely anti-God, hates the Bible, wants to get rid of all Christianity, and you're just agreeing to be agreeable because, you know, you don't want to make this person mad. Right. Well, that's not, that's not helpful to our purpose, uh, our ministry of reconciliation. So, okay, in, in, in the topic of abortion, and we're going to kind of approach this from two aspects. Uh, first and foremost is obviously the biblical approach. Um, and in light of the recent Roe v. Wade decision, there has been a lot of discussion about the morality of abortion. So there's a couple questions um, concerning that topic. First and foremost, does the Bible actually speak about this topic? And then the, the next part of that kind of two-part question is, one of the most common objections made by pro-choice in parentheses, that's a, a separate conversation for another time about what those terms really mean, um, Supporters is, what if the woman was raped? If you ever have a conversation about abortion, I promise that's going to come up. It's going to come up. So you can't bury your head in the sand and just pretend like it doesn't exist or no one's going to ask you about it. Right. So, I think another part of that is what about medical complications to mother, baby, or both? Um, well, in the Ten Commandments, I believe the seventh one, and I don't quote me on that, but uh, one of them, says, thou shalt not murder. And if you dig into the depth of that four-word commandment, then abortion is taking the life of an innocent human being. And so, yes, I would say the Bible does speak about abortion. As well, there is science that has, uh, especially as science advances, um, shown how that just within moments of conception, there's cells beginning to reproduce. And within days, heartbeats are detected and so forth. All of these are signs of life that is in the womb. But the Bible also speaks a couple of things. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Psalm 139 says 13 and 14 for thou hast possessed my reins thou hast covered me in my mother's womb i will praise thee for i am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well these are two if i can use the term ancient writings long before there is science long before there is hospitals long before there is neonatal nurses and all of this that that can help us understand and yet, just like we see often, God knew these things long ago because before the world was ever framed, he already had uh, humanity in mind and so forth. Here's another interesting scripture. The law, according to Exodus 21, 22 through 25, demanded the penalty of death if someone harmed a pregnant woman and the baby in her womb died as a result. Even if she lived... And that brings up a question that I've often asked some uh, proponents of abortion, and that, that is this, and, and I don't ask this to be facetious or rude, but if a woman can have an abortion and not be charged with murder, why can someone who harms a pregnant woman and kills her and her unborn child be charged with a double homicide? That does not make sense logically. And finally, as far as the biblical answer and so forth, since God is the source of life, we know this from Genesis 1, 26, 27, and also in chapter 9, I believe to take an innocent human life is to take away God's right to number man's days. The Psalms speak that God numbers our days. I believe God knows every one of the numbers of our days. And so to take that innocent life is to take away God's right 
to measure a man's days. Now, the common argument is asked then, and Pastor Jeremy brought this up, what about rape, incest, you know, medical complications, etc.? Would these give allowance for someone to have an abortion? I think if I was to answer that question, if, if, if a couple came to me, if a father came to me or whatever, uh, I would probably ask them first, is abortion the only solution? Are there not other options that we can explore? You know, have you made up your mind that this is the only thing that you're, you're willing to do or, or think about? Uh, there's adoption agencies that, that assist women in such cases. And could this be a decision? And so on and so forth. And by the way, um, I would do my best to um, validate the trauma um, that happens in such a case of rape or incest or other traumatic experiences. But here's something else to realize. Abortion is also traumatic, emotionally and physically. In fact, I recommend you watch the movie Unplanned. It's a movie about the youngest Planned Parenthood clinic director in the nation, Abby Johnson, who believed in a woman's right to choose until she had a life-changing experience that turned her into an anti-abortion activist. Also in 1980, and for the elders in the room, Paul Harvey shared a true story about abortion on his uh, anybody remember Paul Harvey? That was an awesome... Uh, anybody not remember Paul Harvey? Yeah. Oh, come on, man. The rest... Page two. I love listening to Paul Harvey. Uh, sidebar for me. I had a unique experience where when I was in Bible college, a guy that I uh, was uh, in the room next to me, he worked at Paul Harvey's house in St. Louis, and I got to go see it. But anyway, that's another story. Um, he opened this radio broadcast in 1980. I don't know what month or day, but it was in 1980. And he started the episode with these words. When rape results in pregnancy or when giving birth might cost the mother's life, few women would fail to consider as an alternative abortion. He then presents two true stories. And, and if you're familiar with it, he would not give you all the details because at the end he's going to tell you the rest of the story and, and you know, bring it to its climax. So he starts off and he says, Katerina was in her teens and is pregnant and has been raped. She doesn't know who the father is, doesn't know how she can afford to take care of the baby. You're the doctor. She's come into your office today. Do you abort or not? And while you're thinking on that, Clara comes into your office next, and she's 28, married for three years. She's had three children die. Uh, she has a family history, a medical history of a lot of stuff in her uh, sisters and, and family. Oh, and oddly enough, she's married to her uncle, so there's some incest you know, stuff going on. And she's wondering if the baby is going to die like the other three. Do you abort or not? As Paul Harvey finishes describing these true stories, he then asks, what is your advice? He expresses all the variables, moral, physical, religious, all of these different variables to think about. And again, if you're familiar, you know, he's about to lay the punchline down. And so if you've chosen to abort Katerina's child, you have just denied the world of the multifaceted genius of Leonardo da Vinci. And if you've opted to abort Clara's baby, you have spared humanity the reign of terror of Adolf Hitler. And that's the unknown variable in these questions. And I have to sit back and wonder sometimes of the millions that have been aborted if one of them wouldn't have invented something, you know, some cure or something by now. If the world has been robbed or maybe the world's been robbed of another Adolf Hitler type. I don't know. It's why God told Eve and Adam not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you cannot legislate morality. If you draw the line here, somebody's going to say, but what about here? If you draw the line there, well, what about that? And it's going to just keep going. All these different uh, variables. Now, I also want to say this, especially for the sake of our online, but here as well. If you've had an abortion or know someone who has, this church doesn't judge. I mean that wholeheartedly. We do not judge. I've got some good friends that have had abortions. I don't judge them. Okay? We remember that Jesus will love us where we are, but not leave us where we are. 
And so I think, you know, it, it, I know this is a very in-depth and very harsh topic, if you will, but I want to say this. Whatever your answer is, do it in love. And do it with an understanding heart. Okay? Uh, that, that if that was you, you know, you're the father, you're the mother, you're the person, you know, try to validate that person's feelings at least on some level of empathy. We, we, we might have to come back to this topic uh, next week, depending. I, I, there's so, so, so much more that could be said uh, about this topic. Um, for sake of time, we can't really get to right now. Let me, let me just, I'll wrap up my portion, I'll, and Pastor Paul, give it back to you for closing comments. Whenever you're talking about issues, especially something of this magnitude, where we are talking literally about the existence of a human life, mm-hmm. right? It's not a light topic. It's not something that we, we should just make a, a decision on lightly without consulting the Word of God. But what happens oftentimes is when we have conversation with those who maybe don't believe in Scripture, who don't follow the Word of God, the tactic that is used often is but what about, but what about, but what about, no matter how you respond, there's always going to be a, oh, but what about this thing? But what about this thing? My kids always hate, because when they ask me that question, I say something like, what if a cow fell from the sky and landed on you? You don't know everything. That's not the point. But the point is that we can know the truth of God's word and that all things are based from there. And so though I may not be able to answer every single variable that you're, you're trying to throw and every little possible nuance to the discussion, what I can stand on is the Word of God because it's forever settled under heaven, right? When the whole earth passes away, His Word will not pass away. So no matter what our emotions are, our intelligence is, the Word is truth at all times. Finally, I'll say this. I had a, I had a conversation recently with a coworker. Um, about this very topic. Uh, it wasn't one that I brought up. It was uh, uh, one of my fellow nurses who kind of brought it up to me and how she was frustrated. And, and she said to me, she said, you know, I, I'm a Christian too, but I, I, don't, I believe abortion is the choice of the woman. Nobody else should be able to tell her what to do with her body. And the first, com- first thought in my mind, that I always, the, pr- the problem I always have with that statement is that what you are saying is that you are God and only you can decide what is right and wrong to do. See, because you say that no one should be able to tell you what you should and shouldn't do with your body. But that's exactly what the Bible does. It tells us to guard our communication. It tells us things that we should not participate in. It tells us that we should go to church. It tells us that we should be in submission under those over authority of us. So yes, the Word of God does tell you what you can do with your body and your life. Because eternity depends on it. God doesn't tell you this because he's trying to lord over you and and, and make you a slave. He does it because he loves you. Same reason that I I tell my kids. They probably get frustrated. Dad, why? Why do you always say we can't do X, Y, and Z? Because I love you. And I don't want to see you get hurt. So when I was talking to this particular nurse, um, we were talking. She she said to me, she said to me, five, six years ago, she said that, uh, she had a, a, a sexual relationship with someone, and uh, she thinks back to that often, that if she had become pregnant during that time, that she would have had to have had an abortion because it would have ruined her life. And trying to clarify, she, she was saying that, well, I'm, I, wasn't, I was 15. I was not in a financial position or, or an emotional position to take care of a kid. And I said, okay, so what you're saying is because you were not in a position to take care of the child, you needed to abort. And she said, yes. I said, well, here's the thing. My youngest daughter is adopted. Her mother made lots of very, very, very bad decisions. But I cannot imagine if she had made the decision back then that I would not have the child that I have today. And that no doubt in that moment... I'm not trying to belittle or downplay. I, I have no doubt in my mind that she may have been completely overwhelmed by all the stuff going on in her life, all the different things that were happening. And she may have felt completely hopeless in the moment, thinking there's no way I can have a kid. It's going to ruin my life. But I thank God, literally, that she didn't make that choice. 
because now I have a child that I love with all my heart. And God has a purpose for every person, and we should never let never. the pain of the moment rob someone or someone's from the purpose that God has for them. Amen. Um, as we wrap this up for tonight, I received another text. I'll, I'll keep the, the family's name out, but there's a family among us in our church that was told uh, to, uh, that they needed to abort their child due to some complications and, and uh, that there would be massive problems and she would never be normal. Well, they had the child. She's alive today, has kids of her own. Um, so again, there are those times when uh, God certainly intervenes. I also was reminded of a time when from this very uh, platform, uh, not this particular pulpit, it was a different one at that time, but back in 2013, I was preaching through Romans, and as you know, in Romans 1, it mentions uh, homosexuality. I briefly alluded to it because the verse alluded to it, and I said something to this effect that God's word, uh, you know, is, is, you know, speaks on the topic, both in Old and New Testaments, um, you know, that it is a sin, uh, but also God loves sinners, and this church loves sinners. And, and I made a comment, something to this effect as well. I said, uh, if, you, uh, if, if, if a homosexual was to tell me they were born that way, I would concede that argument to him and say, okay, you win, because John 3, 5 says you must be born again. And I went on preaching. Later that day, standing out by the fountain, water fountain, just outside the restrooms, this lady shook my hand. Typical handshake, couple seconds, she let go. She's holding on for dear life and says, thank you for the message. I said, well, I appreciate that. I said, but, you know, a 40-minute message, I'm sure you don't remember all of it. Is there something that stood out to you? And she says, well, the part about homosexuality. I'm like, of course, that's what stood out to you. And uh, she says, I'm a lesbian. I said, okay, still holding on to my hand. And she says, I've never heard someone speak as you did in a loving way. I've always heard that God hates me. I said, well, I, I don't believe that. I said, God loves you. I love you. Well, a couple weeks later, she got the Holy Ghost, was baptized, and converted from that lifestyle. Last I heard, she's living in Denver. She's not a homosexual anymore. My point is, if we answer lovingly and biblically, we have the chance to also help somebody get closer to Jesus, not further away. The last thing I want us to do is go from being a place of hope and healing to a place of hate and hurt. Right. Amen. Amen. Right. Amen. With that, why don't we stand? Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. We're going to do this two more weeks. We've got a couple more questions, but please, if you have some, text either one of us, especially those of you listening online as well. Uh, text in. We would love to address those questions and, and uh, bring a biblical mindset to you from them. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to grow. Help us, Lord, to answer as your word teaches us with that grace and with our uh, communication season with salt, that it would be grace to the hearers, that, Lord, they would be transformed by the word of the Lord. We ask it and pray it in Jesus' mighty name. And would everyone say amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. By the way, don't forget Saturday night is all church prayer meeting. I'm sorry, we forgot to announce that. Saturday night, all church prayer meeting, 6 o'clock. The Vernons will be here with us in that prayer meeting. And then, of course, they're going to be here preaching on Sunday. So we're looking forward to a great time Saturday and Sunday.